Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. When you think of HR, what comes to mind? Insurance and payroll questions? Onboarding? Company policy gurus? Or the company police? Today we're meeting with Gemma Bromfeld, who owns her own consultancy business called Go Beyond HR Consultancy. She's been in the HR profession for over 20 years, and she has loads of advice and insight for us. Listen in as she talks about the personal impact of leaders spotting the potential in her and the joy of working in inclusive environments. She'll also talk about what it's like to work in an HR department that is focused on retribution instead of restoration. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you for taking time to chat with us on Conflict Managed. Hi, it's so lovely to be here and thank you for having me. Oh, we're so pleased. So we're just going to get right to it. You've recently started your own consulting firm, Go Beyond HR Consultancy. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's flying by. We launched in March and uh, here we are. We're nearly at the end of May. Can you tell us how that came about? How did you end up starting Go Beyond? Yeah, so I was part of a big corporate organisation for 25 years and my most recent role was HR business partner and in October last year I got made redundant. Um, I could have stayed on with the organisation and done a different role um, but I, I kind of see that my values and my boss is going to be kind of compromised a little bit because I couldn't give that totally personal service that I like to give um, and really go beyond for the people that I serve, hence the reason why I call my business Go Beyond. Um, so I decided that I would take redundancy and there was something niggling in the back of my mind. I'd always wanted to have my own consultancy and it seemed like, well, here's the perfect opportunity. And there was so much that I wanted to do. You know, I was massively into conflict resolution, but as part of my role, I I always wanted to mediate. And as part of my role, I couldn't do that. So as soon as I got out, I was like, right, that is what gonna be the key thing that I'm gonna offer through my business. So I just I got myself a mentor, I went on a boot camp to enable me to set up my business and yeah here I am and I'm absolutely loving it and um, I just love every day I'm working off my agenda I'm adding I have my client I'm adding value to my client you know um and it, it's great that's absolutely. wonderful in fact that's how we met at a, a workplace uh, conflict mediation uh, through the TCM group yeah, we absolutely did. And that was amazing because I've waited for so long to be able to do that course. And it's just the best course ever. If someone said to me, you can mediate every day, I'd be there because it just, it, it's just, I just find it so inspiring. Like you're helping people when they're going through conflict 
And I personally think that's a really privileged position to be in, to be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. It really is. Why don't you work, take us through a little bit of your work history? So, yeah, I started um, 22, I was, when I started with um, the organisation that I was with up until recently. And I was, um, I, 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 I was in and I left after a few years because I was a bit bored, I think. Um, but somebody who worked there, as they call it, spotted the potential and got me back and was like, right, come on, we're going to do management training with you. So that's what I did. And I always knew that there was something different about me compared to like some of the other managers because all I was interested in was people completely that that was what floated my boat I wanted to be around people I wanted to support people I wanted to grow their potential um I, I, I kind of wasn't in, interested in the whole transactional kind of stuff and the whole operational stuff um and and at one point, I would get called, sometimes I'd get called pink and fluffy because I started to show an interest in HR. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's not like that. It's it's about the people. And I want to invest my time and my energy into people. And there's nothing pink and fluffy about that because actually, at some point, you, you, you do have to have, like, you know, adult conversations and face into some quite tough conversations so there's nothing fluffy about it. Um, I, I did um, take a little time out from work because I had um, spinal surgery, which put me out of action for a little bit of a while. Um, and then coming back, I think that's when I really started. I was working, the, the manager at the time, she saw, again, saw potentially me to do a bigger role. So she was like, right, you're going to go to do a senior manager's role. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, oh. <laughs> um, and, and I did. I went there. I did it. I loved it. Um, and that was where I went into HR. And I never looked back. I, I just loved it. Why do you think, uh, you know, this idea of HR as being pink and fluffy? I was just um, went down a rabbit hole yesterday on TikTok and I was watching all these videos and my TikTok is filled with people talking about their work environments because that's what I'm interested in. And video after video um, was about people leaving because of poor managers or because of the environment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just for staying in business, just the hard math of what happens when people aren't treated well or they don't know that they're cared for or they aren't cared for seems like that's pretty hardcore. And yet, having excellent people skills is known as bluff. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of it's to do with the fact that it's something that's misunderstood. And I think that certain managers see when when you are really looking after people and you are treating them as a human being and really engaging with them they see it almost as a weakness. And for me, it's absolutely not that at all. It's it's a strength. You know, if you can really speak to people and 
find out what they're about, you know. And I, I used to have sometimes comments made to me of, oh, people will do anything for you. And I says, yeah, but that's a two-way street. I look after people. Hmm. You know, if somebody's going through something, then I will make it my business to understand what they're going through and sit and listen to them. And, you know, so when it, the time would come and I would say, you know, could you maybe work a couple of extra hours? Then the answer was always yes, because I looked after people. Um, and that, in the environment that I was in, that in itself sometimes would be seen as fluffy. You know, oh, we don't have time to talk, you know, years ago especially, oh, mm -hmm. we don't have time for all this. Get outside and get cracked on. And I would always, always be like, no, I'm having this time with this person because this is important. And I think for me, if you've got all of that basic stuff in place, treating people well, looking after people, helping them, you know, inspiring them so that they can flourish, that's when you get a high performing team. And there's nothing fluffy about that at right. all. <laughs> right. <laughs> You've already mentioned that you had several managers spot potential in you. Would you tell us about maybe one of your best work experiences with maybe excellent leadership or an environment? Yeah, so there's been a couple. I think one where... Um, the manager spotted the potential for me to go to the senior level manager. Um, she was just great. Like, it's the way that you were empowered to really want to make your own decisions. And, you know, if you tried something and it failed, you didn't get blasted for it. You didn't get shouted at and, and put down. It was, right, okay, let's go over it and see kind of where things are apart slightly or and we learn so that was always there so you felt comfortable that if something hadn't gone to plan you could go back and talk about it you know and you would learn from things you weren't shouted at and you weren't you feel like you were on eggshells all the time to go and talk about something so that was really good and then um a boss that I had in my last role she was, she was looking after us. She wasn't our normal boss. Um, and she was incredible. So at that point, there was still a bit of me that my self-confidence, I would question my confidence um, and, and self-belief. And all of a sudden, she could see it. And bit by bit, she started giving me things to do that were like, quite big like project or she would give me there'd be something going on within the business and she put me forward to go and and deal with that and what that did for me was just made me really reflect and think wow well I've just done that I've got a great outcome from it but actually it started with her believing in me and giving me you know that that instilling that confidence in me so, yeah, I've, I've worked for a couple of really good leaders. Wow. that's Isn't it so amazing when somebody 
sees that in you and something that maybe you can't see in yourself or maybe yeah. you think is there, but mm-hmm. for someone to take the time to pull that out so that you flourish, but then of course the organization flourishes. And I'm sure both of these bosses also got better by investing in you and I'm sure other people around you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one, the, the first one that I mentioned, the whole of the, the team, be it the managers, be it the people under management, everybody performed. Everyone enjoyed being at work. And I think that's the key thing. You know, you spend so much of your time at work and to go home on a night and say, I really enjoyed being there. But to get up on the morning and think, okay, I'm going to work today and, oh, I'll see so-and-so and I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. It, it's a wonderful place to be, to feel excited to be going into an organisation. Yeah, I mean, so many people talk about, you know, the dread of Sunday, the dread of Sunday night, because mm-hmm. they've got to go back to work on Monday. But to enjoy where you are, can you remember anything specific that that boss did to bring about this environment that was made work enjoyable? It was the way that we, it was the inclusive environment. So when we, we, we used to have meetings on a Monday and prior to this person coming in, I used to hate the meeting. I would get anxiety. I would feel like, I don't want to say anything. I, I, I'll just sit quiet and hopefully nobody will ask me anything. Where this lady, honestly, had everybody involved. You know, you could speak about something and it and it would get explored further. So then that gave you the confidence to kind of, if you had any ideas, you could put them forward. Or, you know, it was it was just a great inclusive environment. Wow, that's such a good point. I mean, many times when we finally have the courage to speak up, we're afraid that it's just going to land flat and yeah. it won't be picked up, as you said. But mm-hmm. when somebody says, you know, tell me more or what can we do with this or what does everybody else think? That really is, it feels so encouraging to be acknowledged by the person that you're working for, like mm-hmm. we, to be seen. And that's, that's a part of being listened to and cared for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. What about some challenging environments? Mm. We all have challenging co-workers or bosses. Can you tell us about a time that you had a difficult time in a job? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of people that I've worked with. And one was, I guess, what you call a, a, a very big advocate of the retributive culture. So if anything went wrong, it was like, right, right, right. Investigation, warnings, and that was like, like really put me on edge because that isn't my way of dealing with things. Um, And and there was a person at the time who kind of was on, on my way of thinking, but then that annoyed the manager even further because they were trying to get me away from that person because this other person was in was really interested in informal resolution. That wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it was <laughs> you will deal with these people, and I'm like, wow, it is no. And you could see 
like why the culture, why there was the toxicity around, you could see because it was always blame this one, that one get them in, but that one will blame that one. And you were just going round and round and round. And every day just felt like pressure, huge pressure. And then another um, example, I guess, was when I've worked for somebody who you work for them, but don't bother them. Just get on and don't ask me anything. And if you did have the occasion where you want to ask something, you were made to feel like, well, what are you asking me for? And that one, if I'm being honest, was, was probably the worst for me because I kind of got to a point where I was disengaged. I started to not like my job anymore. I started to think, well, this person just isn't bothered, you know? Um, and I think it, it, that was at a time as well when my confidence wasn't great anyway. So the fact that you were just kind of being left, that made it worse. And so everything I did, I questioned myself. I can see me now going to send an email and thinking, I'll read it again. And I'll read it again. And then you're driving yourself mad. Like, I'd be sat on an evening and I'd be thinking, oh, like, what, what if this isn't right? And what if that isn't right? And, and you're going round and round and round. And they're just, the, it's mental torture. That's the only way I can describe it. And you know that you're not going to get any support. So that, it, it, it's like a ripple effect. It, it affects you, your, your mental health in the end because, you, you know, you, you're questioning yourself continually. And then, you know, when it comes to, like, appraisals, you feel like it's a fight. And, you've, and, and at one point, you know, you're saying, well, can, can you not see my worth? Do you know what I mean? And... That was tough. That was, that was a, a tough time. I've had an experience like that as well. So many people talk about micromanagers. Uh, I've worked for micromanagers as well. But I don't know how much we talk about the, the checked out manager, the non-supportive manager, the manager where you feel like you're walking on eggshells just to ask a question. But if you don't ask that question, you might do the wrong thing. I mean, <laughs> As you were explaining, I could absolutely see, I had, um, I'm not a very emotional individual and I feel like I'm relatively confident, but I got to the point with one manager where almost every time I left this person's office, I was in tears because I felt so much anxiety for asking a question that I really did need the answer to, to where at, by the end of working at this place, I just would not go into that office anymore. And if I absolutely had to, I'd send an email and just brace myself. And um, that is, that is, I think, very interesting that we don't think about how people need proper feedback. They, they need to be able to ask questions. And that is empowering to have a, a real open door policy. Uh, sometimes the the opposite of the micromanager uh, in the in the bad direction will say they have an open door policy, but it means <laughs> it's open, but I it's not open for anybody, right? It's just sort of a name only. That's right. 
don't, please don't come in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's open, but don't come in. Would you explain for our listeners uh, what retribution style HR is versus like restorative? Okay, I get the hair stood on the neck standing up talking about it. So with the retribution style, it's all about, it, it centres around blame. So, you know, we, you know, in HR, you've got your policies in place, you've got your systems in place. Now, in my opinion, they do not serve workplaces anymore. So if we look at grievance, disciplinary, investigation, performance management, I mean, those words in itself, performance management, that straight away says you're doing rubbish and you need to do better. I'm going to manage you is what that says to me. But but these things need to change. And, you know, in some of the cultures that I've seen, as soon as anything goes wrong, say a relationship breaks down or something happens, the first words to come out that person's mouth is, I'm putting a grievance in. And it's, I will bring you down at any cost. I'll bring all these witnesses in. You know, I will beat you. And then that has that effect to then spill out into everybody else, you know, that's in this proximity of the organisation. So the retributive culture leads with blaming, shaming, you know, coming down hard on people. Um, You know, like employee handbooks. For me now, I think, come on, we're welcoming somebody into our organisation and then we're saying on page six, but if you do anything wrong, you're getting a warning. (laughs) And it's like... Okay, I'm suddenly feeling not very inspired anymore. Um, and, and I think it needs to change. I think, you know, we, we, we need to take some of that away and let's bring in, you know, mediation. I have done so, I've listened to so many grievances over the years. And I've sat and I've thought to myself, this is ridiculous. So nothing's been achieved. You, you get to the end and you go, right, okay, these people hate each other. They're causing trouble around through what they're going through. They, nothing's really come from it. It's caused a lot of anxiety and a lot of tension. A lot of time's been taken up. My, you know, their time, my time, absence cases. So you get this Whole, the only way you can describe it is toxic culture. And the root of the toxic culture is these processes that just do not serve us anymore. Um, and part of my work that I am doing and hopefully will be doing a lot more of in the future is really ra- raising awareness to get these changed. And any clients who work with me, I, I do have the confidence to turn around and say, I want to change your policies. And it's not a case of making them, you know, a lot of times I, I hear the word, well, these are compliant. 
it's it's not all about that. You've got to look at the bigger picture around what you're saying. And I just think now more than ever, you know, we've had the pandemic, we've had people are under more pressure externally now than they've ever been. You know, here in the UK, and I'm guessing it's the same in the States, we've got the cost of living crisis. People are anxious. Do they really want to then go into a workplace and have all of that compounded as well? You know, I think there is a better way. And I think now is the time that we really need to start embracing that better way. I completely agree with you that looking at policy, um, handbook policy is incredibly important in the sense that you know, most of us don't think about the handbook until we have a problem. And then we turn to it and we say, oh, um, I was looking at a policy the other day and it was, you know, 60 pages long. And who is that friendly for? The lawyers. It's not human friendly, right? And so if we start, I think, thinking about policies in the reverse, how is this going to restore relationships? How mm -hmm. is this going to bring health and healing? How are we going to get these people who hate each other to not only tolerate each other but work as co-workers and they don't they're not family members but they're co-workers and uh, how are we going to make it so that and have policies in place that deals with their their needs and the other people who are around them right the blowback from any sort of um, uh, conflict but if we start thinking about policies I think in the reverse how is this going to bring about health how is this going to bring about our mission and shine our values instead of how are we being, how are we being protected from litigation? And of course, I think when you put people first, that is going to protect you from a lot of litigation. Because when people feel listened to, when there are just processes, and it's not winners and losers where everybody loses, that is going to bring about. Now, that is not to say there isn't the real world. You know, I think people think it's one or the other. It's either all punitive, all legalese, or it's fluffy and we're going to be open to lawsuits, right? Um, it certainly isn't one or the other. You can have both, I think. Yeah. What, do you agree? No, I totally agree, 100%. It, it just needs reframing. Yeah. That's all. It, you know, of course, you know, things happen at workplaces, things, some quite serious things. I've dealt with them over the years. I've dealt with, you know, example, loads of different examples of things. But it's the way that these things, that these policies are set out. And it needs, they need reframing. Yeah. Like you say, you know, if you look at, putting the two together so you look at the, like you said the stuff about the lawyers so if you look at employment law in there they talk about being reasonable fair and just but the actual policies that are in place they aren't fair they aren't just and they're not reasonable because all that all the person sees in these policies is how can I hurt you if, if I'm going to put so if you look at the, the, the colleague, the, the employee, and they 
look at that. It's a case of, I can put a grievance in against you. I can cause you stress. You might go off sick. You might, you know. The worst case scenario, this could cause so much damage to somebody that they think about taking their own life. And I have read about cases like this and it makes me feel physically sick. Yeah. Um, where, and then on the other side, you've got managers who really a lot of, that's a lot of the time who don't know how to have the conversations, non-violent conversations with people, talk to them. It's a case of, right, okay, um, I'll grab my policy, I'll get my checklist, and I'm going to sort. It, it, it comes down to blame again. It's, it's one or it's the other. And none of this is healthy at all. Yeah. So there's, there's so much work that needs to be done. And, you know, if, we took, if you look at health and well-being in the workplace, that all it's all to do with cultures and treating people as well as individuals, not applying blanket approaches. Because when you do that, you're not hearing people, you're not seeing them and you're not hearing them. Yeah. You know, I was thinking as you were, you were talking about, you know, a lot of times we say um, the civilization is judged by how they treat people in the margins or people who can't speak for themselves. And we think about how do we, how would, do we want to be treated on our best day and our worst day? When we all have lapses of judgments, we all make mistakes. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes they're quite egregious and they are criminal and they severely hurt somebody else. But even then, even in severe cases, somebody else's behavior doesn't have to dictate ours. And so even in a company, if you have somebody who is sexually harassing somebody else or embezzling or you know, doing something that is egregious, if you have companies that are mission-focused and values-based, then they can still use their values to treat people justly, to treat people fairly, to communicate all the way through, even if that they're saying goodbye to that person because they need to part ways or that person is going to be in prison, the company um, and all the people in the company can still treat that person with dignity and respect. <clears throat> and of course, treating that person, I believe, with dignity and respect is allowing them to take the consequences for their negative behavior, especially when it's egregious. And so I think treating people well, there's never a time not to treat people well. Mm-hmm. even when they've totally. done something bad. And of course, most things that happen in our work environments are on the small scale, but they're big to us and they can cause real mental harm when I'm sitting next to Sally and I just, on Sunday, I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be sitting next to her and she's gonna be talking loud or she's going to make comments about how I look or um, she's gonna be negative or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Eventually people get sick, they leave productivity suffers. Um, and if that person ends up taking out a grievance, is that person going to get justice? Probably not. And neither is Sally, right? It just is a big pile of unhelpfulness uh, and it not is. health. And, yeah. And, and nobody, I hate this term like winning Yeah, because nobody does, nobody wins at right. all. Right. They just don't on, on that scale. Um, you know, if they've been offered 
a lot of the time mediation had been brought into account to support these two people. Right. You know, then that's win-win for both people because right. we're restoring a relationship, building back stronger, you know. Um, and, and I guess the one thing that sticks in my head, it's like, well, hang on a minute, with a 93, over 93% success rate, why are more organisations not going, right, come on, HR, let's get all of our system, everything changed, and let's really start taking care of our people? I think that needs to be highlighted. I'm not sure if our listeners know that, but workplace mediation has a 93% success rate Mm -hmm. such that when you have two parties who are warring and you think this is intractable, these people have it in for each other, over 90% of the time when you have a qualified mediator who sits down with them and goes through the process that um, you have a good outcome at the end. And that is everybody winning. This, I think you're absolutely right, Gemma, this win versus lose, you know, Everybody loses. When you have a society who thinks that way, the winners and the losers. When you have a company that thinks that way, the winners and the losers. Nobody wins. The winners don't win. And the losers certainly obviously don't. Um, That kind of mentality, why would we want that? Why would we want anybody to be marginalized? And let's suppose even if they are doing something that is a social faux pas, like uh, walking around the office without their shoes on. I, I don't know what it might be. Like you see these pictures of people on the plane. In the and UK, they wouldn't be. be freezing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we can say, you know, what, what should we do? Um, how about a conversation? How about telling that person, you know, in this office, you need to wear shoes. It's not optional. And the other person might say, I did not know that. Or I have a foot condition or I don't know, but it's a conversation. It's talking to people and not assuming we know. And that's what mediation is. It really allows people to talk, to be listened to, but then to listen. Mm -hmm. So uh, yes, I'm all for workplace mediation. Um, It it needs to come before grievance. Yes. Honestly, that is the thing. I'm I'm on a mission. That's (laughs) it needs to come before grievance. And absolutely 100% needs to be because when you've got that culture where if you know everyone's human beings conflict is always going to arise and conflict can be healthy if it's dealt with in the right way you know because we don't always get on all the time and people do have opinions and sometimes that opinion might annoy somebody else or whatever but if we have a, if you're part of a workplace where the culture is actually, I need some mediation. I want to raise some mediation because actually I feel like my relationship with that person is suffering or it's going to go, going to go down a route where it could suffer if I don't take some form of action now, i.e. sit down with a mediator and let's talk about it. Well, Gina, thank you so much for our conversation. And I was, my last question was going to be, what is your vision for the future? But I almost feel like you said it and you can change it if you want, but this idea of mediation before grievance, but what is your vision for the future of the workforce? I want to see HR 
because obviously I'm a HR professional. I want to see HR being taken away from this whole, you hear a lot of business partnering, strategic this, blah, blah, blah. Bring, let's come back round and bring HR back to people-focused, people-centred. And let's get rid of these horrendous policies that are no longer serving our businesses. It's as simple as that. And that is what I will be working towards and anyone who I work with, that's what I'll be championing. Well, Gemma, sign me up. I'm all on board <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. So Gemma, if people want to um, find out more about you or uh, work with you, how would they find you? So um, LinkedIn is probably the best place um, to find me on there. Um, I'm, I'm on there as, as me, Gemma Bromfield. Um, you can't miss my profile because it's very bright and <laughs> um, turquoise and yellow, sunshine. That's me. Um, I'm on there most, I'm on there like every day. So that is the best place to, to find me. And I, and I love meeting new people and I love catching up with people. So, yeah drop me a message. That sounds great. And we'll also put all of Gemma's information in the bio uh, for this episode. Well, Gemma, thank you so much for your time. It's been a joy speaking with you today. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. That was Gemma Broomfield of Go Beyond HR Consultancy. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed. And thank you to Gemma for reminding us that excellent people management skills aren't pink and fluffy but necessary to bring about flourishing work environments. She also reminded us of the importance of workplace mediation before a grievance is filed and encouraging us to review and reframe HR policies and procedures to be people-centered and people-friendly. Join us next week for more stories of triumph and dysfunction from our workplaces. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration. You can find them online at 3pconflictrestoration.com and on social media at 3pconflictrestoration. Our music is by Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Take care. Take care.